0: Two guys who... No
1: credentials.
0: Reviewing. Rolling Stone. 500. Greatest album.
1: Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Today, we are discussing album number 37 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 album list. This is The Chronic by Dr. Dre. This is dedicated to the niggas that was down from day
0: one. Welcome to Death Row. Like we always do about this time. (laughs) I feel like we should apologize just right off the top because I think this is a really, really significant album uh, in a genre that we don't know very much about. And we're going to ask a lot of questions here without having many answers. And I think if if we'd brought in a guest this time, we might have had some of those things answered and we didn't so we apologize up front (laughs) it's gonna be us wildly uh, trying to figure this out uh (laughs) two guys with no credentials
1: (laughs) yeah well that's that's the premise of the show and i guess if you're uh hopefully instead of getting frustrated you can kind of just take the conversation for what it is to absolutely two guys who who are fairly green to this (laughs) no pun intended there (laughs) right (laughs) um uh, trying to, to figure out what it means without a whole lot of outside help. That's right. what this conversation will be. <laughs> Pretty much
0: it. Yep. Yep.
1: Uh, you want me to just start with some details right off the bat? Um, or do you have something yes. to say first?
0: Uh, no, let's start with some details. We'll get to all the things that I want to say, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: details, 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 details. So the chronic was released December 15, 1992. Almost every track was co-written by Dr. Dre. Most of them also co-written by Snoop Dogg uh, and many, many other contributors. But Dr. Dre's the name you see most often. And with a lot of these hip-hop albums we've talked about, Ben, it's it's a, more about the production than the writing because the songs i get the sense that a lot of the songs are created as they're being recorded and produced you know okay yeah they're the producers putting their flavor into the sound as opposed to uh something more traditional with uh, acoustic instruments where someone comes in with uh with a score with a chart to say, here's the music, here's, okay, everybody's playing this, this is where they come in, they go, okay, we're going to start with this beat, and then the producer says, okay, well, let's change, let's put in this sound, this sound, what if we add this, they might just start with a beat, then put in some melody, the the MC's got a verse there, and then they kind of workshop it. I, right. I think, I hope I'm not stepping out of line when I say I think, especially in this early genre, I think they were just figuring out I think a lot of the verses we hear not like we talked about um, Biggie when he when he did the second session because they they kind of did some of it and then the one label kind of went under and then um, uh, Puffy started uh, I think it was Bad Boy and they did the rest and he didn't have anything written down Mm -hmm. it was like all either memorized or ad-libbing Re-styling, right. I guess, right. is a better term. Um, so, so the production is real, and the producers are really, really important for the creation of the music in this genre because it's. I think a lot of it is workshopped and I don't want to say improvised, but they they kind of fine tune it in the studio as opposed to coming with with uh, a chart and then just polishing it up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that. I think that is a good way to begin an episode like this, especially with Dre's producer um, credibility and, and mm-hmm. all the incredible albums that he has been a part of. Right. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, there are various YouTube videos uh, showing footage of when the artist hears the backing track for the first time uh, okay. and maybe the most famous one is when um, uh, Jay-Z hears dirt off your shoulder the expression okay. that he makes is this like Euphoric! I can't believe what I'm hearing, but also like uh, this is this is going to change everything. Like it's like a kid in a candy store kind of look, like where he's ex- he's experiencing um, the sort of bedrock for what's going to be his next biggest single, and um, right. and he can tell even before he has the lyrics that it's going to be big just because of the production that's gone into the backing track uh, before it even like before he even starts rapping, right? Right. Um, and I think so you've got that with these like uh, incredible producers and their reputation. I remember um, our friend Aaron talking about this many, many years ago, and I couldn't find anything to back this up. But I, I, I don't think this is too far off. But he he claimed um, back in the day that, that Dre would sit down with a potential artist or client and say, um, I've got a, a, a list of uh, beats here for your next album. If you it to sell X amount of copies, use these ones. If you wanted to sell this amount of copies, use these ones. Like he could almost predict what the wow. album was going to do um, before he'd even heard what the artist was going to come up with based on sort of what he had created in the studio. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think there is this dynamic here of like music being created in a different order, a different way than, you know, a band kind of jamming out in the basement and when it gets polished enough you go to the studio and they click record and and you begin this is like it's very different kind of way to to make an album
1: absolutely and i think that that paints the picture very well of the collaboration that happens on many of these hip-hop albums we're talking about yeah which is very different than a lot of especially when we did the 2012 list where the first 30 albums were mostly rock albums yep um and this time we're getting a lot more of the hip hop off the bat, which is which has been great and and so I think important for for us I'll speak for myself for me to learn about this other music, this other music that's still a driving force like the yeah. potentially the driving force in music for the last two decades um, and even when you look at the Wikipedia page when we looked at those albums, you know, all it says at the top was all tracks written by Bob Dylan, all tracks written by uh page and plant, you know, like that's yeah, it. Yeah. And then when you go to the same chart for hip hop, hip hop album for every single track, it's like mm-hmm. writers and a list of them, uh, producers and a list of them for every track yeah. you can't, you know? So I think, the, and I, I'm not saying that to, to be negative at all. It's just a very different way to make music. Um, yep. and I think that, when we hear or when a lot of people hear uh, hip hop and hear and, and and pop music hear the um, kind of the electronic quote produced sound think that that's and again in quotes not real or not mm-hmm. traditional mm-hmm. and that also means not uh, there's there's little improvisation and collaboration there yeah. But it's, in fact, the other way around, because it, I think that story about Jay-Z is, is wonderful, because it shows that he gets in the studio, and he hasn't heard the backing track yet. Right. So, as opposed to, again, many of the traditional, they come in, they've already workshopped the song, they come into the studio, they go, here's what we're going to do, and they just record it. Whereas, and we see in these other, that they get in the studio with some ideas, mm-hmm. and then using the tools in the studio to create the songs. Um Yep yep anyways yeah i i'm sure that is a very <laughs> a very layman's way of describing it from two guys just trying to figure it out but mm-hmm.
0: um, well yeah and we haven't even gotten into the sampling of of other artists music too but that's part of this uh melting pot as well right like absolutely borrowing and from i think the stuff that's already out there and making oh, it yeah. your own and um yeah, so there are there are many different layers. I mean, that's ten Absolutely. minute explanation for yeah. there are layers in hip hop.
1: <laughs> but I think I th- I think it helps and as we get down, yeah. you know, uh we talked about uh comparing Kendrick Lamar and Kanye West, because we listened to those very close together, that Kanye West, you know, really shines as a producer. Um yep. and he's obviously a very prolific and successful artist, but you get that in all the sampling and all that stuff with kendrick lamar you see him shining with you know very much with the lyrics with with stuff like that and there's less sampling on that album yet they're both very powerful albums um yep. anyways yep. let's uh <laughs> but that's cool that's good to talk about and and really i think as we talk more about dr dre here understanding the importance of production
0: Go to your happy price, Priceline.
1: In terms of chart position, so this is 1992. So in the UK, it went to 43. In the US, it went to number three um, on the billboard 200 but then it went to number one on the on the billboard r&b and hip-hop charts uh, which i would expect was a fairly new chart at the time um yeah because hip-hop would have just been starting the late 80s uh sales i i had a few different numbers um that i found uh, but uh, I did find uh, 3 million copies sold in the U.S., over 6 million worldwide. Another one said uh, over 5 million in the U.S., so I'm not sure, but, but like 6 million um, and a lot in the U.S. Uh, a couple notes here. So this was the first album released on Dr. Dre's own Death Row records. Death Row, you know, becoming one of the main labels in hip-hop. Um, and this is following Dr. Dre's departure from NWA we haven't done NWA yet but we have talked about them Mm -hmm. um and Ruthless Records so he left uh, I think around 89 yeah and, and the group disbanded um I think uh Ice Cube was the first to leave and then Dr. Dre left so then he starts his own record company uh he's got Snoop on board and this is the first album uh and then the year after you get um Snoop Doggy Dog's first album.
0: And it's probably worth pointing out here, the the move away from Ruthless is an effort to have more artist control in the profit that's coming in, I think. Um, cool. There were some questions about how honest the record label was actually being with mm. uh, people like NWA about how much they're actually making. And, um, mm. and I think especially when you're working with Um, kids, really, in a lot of cases, coming out of uh, poverty and signing them I mean it's a lot like the sort of older country music stories of like pulling kids from the deep south uh, who are really talented signing them to these lopsided contracts where the label makes everything and the artist has to so, sort of becomes enslaved to them uh, and and I think Dre's efforts in creating something new were an effort to try and get the power back in the artist's uh, hands um, I think there's some questions about whether or not that was um, done well still, but uh, I think it, it shifted something in the industry at that time, and uh, I I think, it, I would hope, it's been a good thing for, for music in general. Uh, yeah. To make that shift.
1: Well, you see this, we, we've already talked about a couple albums that came out right after this so we can see that the ripple effect you know uh, biggie wu-tang yeah it's i think it did start something for sure Um, i read that uh, the chronic is widely regarded as the album that redefined west coast hip-hop demonstrated gangster rap's commercial potential as a multi-platinum commodity Yeah. and established uh, G-Funk as the most popular sound in yeah. hip-hop music for several years after it's released. Do you know anything about G-Funk?
0: Well, I, I don't know much, um, but I did a bit of a deeper <laughs> dive think. this week, and uh, Parliament's sort of the big... Right, yeah, I read that too. Parliament's kind of the big sound if you're going in G-Funk, and um, it was interesting, a, a couple of people who were writing about this album talked about Funk music in general was kind of like the uh, the African American community's version of the Beach Boys. It was like what you played at the beach, what you played in the backyard, what you played when like the kids and grandparents were around, because everyone loved it. It was lighthearted, it was fun. Uh, It made everyone kind of want to dance It wasn't controversial right and and so there's this very intentional move here to take something that's really gritty and edgy and like not mainstream at all like gangsta rap and combine it with this sort of you know for us white people this beach voice (laughs) sound right to sort of make it more palatable to uh to make music that maybe even your grandparents would put on and be like whoa they're sampling that oh, but they're talking about this real um, dark stuff here. Um, so kind of like pulling uh, something in to sort of soften it while talking about really intense uh, stuff was, was very intentional and kind of brilliant. I, I, I don't even know what the parallel would be today, but there's been a couple of times it strikes me that we've talked about music that is um, upbeat and light. Um, actually, fairly frequently, when we talked about um, uh, Back to Black uh, with uh, Amy Winehouse, right? Like, yeah. Like yeah. a lot of that music is very, very. Um, uh, upbeat when, when she's actually talking about some like really dark stuff there, right? Uh, yes, and the older older style sound too that your grandparents might put that album on and then suddenly be traumatized by what she's actually singing about. Um, right, but so, yeah, something interesting in the, that mix here that that Dre, uh, I guess, is sort of an origin um, person for for making that happen.
1: Right, and and I think it it has to do with relatability. Mm -hmm. I think we hear that a little bit in, in public enemy from the, the mid to late eighties too, but yeah. uh, And, and throughout hip hop so often it's older tracks that they're sampling from jazz, funk, blues. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this callback to, to the precursors of, of the music there, which is, I think helps, you know, I don't think Dre expected that 60 year olds would go out and pick up his album yet. Mm-hmm. If you're his age or a little older and you grew up with all this music, there's something else relatable. You're hearing yep. the lyrics that, you know, maybe you relate to because you grew up in the ghetto. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you had the same, some of the same issues that Dre's talking about, but also you're hearing the music that you grew up with, with your family, your parents and grandparents. So there's all these things. It's, it's it's very clever. Yeah. Um, it's great. So this is, this is, this album is The Chronic, but the follow-up... This is another interesting thing about Dre. The follow-up album, which is nine years later, almost a decade later, called 2001. And I remember I remember that music when it came out. I don't yeah. remember that one. I'm um, like, uh, still the DRE and forgot about Dre, stuff like that. Um, it was often referred to as The Chronic 2001 because of its similar themes and inclusion of the marijuana leaf on the cover... Um, tracks like, uh, yeah, still DRE uh, that reference this chronic album. So that's that's interesting. Right. And I always assumed, I, I think we're in the same boat, Ben. I always assumed that Dre was just kind of this prolific artist who released so much music because you heard about him so much. He was always kind of, yep. growing up, I felt like he was always in the forefront and on the top of the list when it came to kind of the best hip hop artist but uh, yep. he really hasn't
0: released that many albums has he? <laughs> no, I think just like, a single one like after and, 2001 and zero, right? uh,
1: yeah. yeah,
0: so since 1992 what is that? Uh, we're, <laughs> we're closing 20, in 29. on 30 years, right? Yeah uh, He's he's released three albums and uh, yeah they're all kind of highly regarded too so it's not like he's uh putting out a dud and then waiting 10 years but uh yeah it's really fascinating
1: but but still even and i don't want to stray too far from the chronic here but um still throughout all that time extremely active in terms of the industry and production and all sorts of stuff right like (laughs) it's not like he he didn't just because he wasn't doing his own albums he didn't disappear at all by any sense right right um the next thing I want to talk about, and <laughs> which is funny because I I had never would have got this correlation. So the album artwork. Um, so when I first saw this, and this wasn't again, this wasn't this artwork wasn't familiar to me. I I've heard of the Chronic, the album. I of course know who Dr. Dre is, but the artwork. So it's like um, it's kind of old style lettering at the top, Dr. Dre, and then is picture which what looks to me like in like a very uh old style like 19th century style ornate round picture frame <laughs> that you would see like on the wall in like a victorian era house um and underneath it says the chronic uh in mm-hmm. blue letters block capital. what i didn't realize at all is that this is uh a straight lift from the design that's on the box of zigzag rolling (laughs) papers. Uh, I've heard of zigzags, um, and I wasn't really in this culture in high school or or since where, you know, I would need to roll uh, anything. Um, uh, But I have never really seen the package, and so they've taken this. I can only assume, Ben, that this would have been very popular because you wouldn't need to pay pay, like because especially i don't know now maybe it's more easy to buy like pre-rolled marijuana cigarettes like pre-rolled joints or like there's so many different ways especially with it becoming legal in so many different uh states that you can get you can get cannabis products in so many different ways, and probably be even buy cigarettes. But, but back in the day, <laughs> obviously they were rolling their own joints. So you, everybody, I'm sure would have had a supply of zigzags. So it would have been something again. Right. I'm sure that was extremely <laughs> familiar. People would have seen the album and like, oh, that's just like zigzags, you know, like everyone. Yeah, right, in right. that, in that community, in that culture, I'm sure would have known right away what he was, what he was going for. I mean, it, it wouldn't have been subtle at all, right? I'm, I'm guessing
0: right i don't think so and i think i think that it also has this really interesting uh, ability to cross a uh, uh, crossover from just a sort of projects image to like you know i i we grew up in rural suburbia and i remember kids in high school having zigzags to roll their joints right like it was, it was something that we could experience having never set foot in the projects. Uh, we could connect sure. the, the yeah. dots of the artwork there <laughs> to make it be like, oh yeah, this is this is a part of our world too. Um, hmm. So yeah, I, I mean, perhaps similar to the the choice to sample predominantly from P Funk, I think this is another like kind of. Um, crossover attempt to be like uh, to draw in a, a wider circle of people to this music specifically if you can link in not just the people from your community but also you know anyone who enjoys the chronic from time to time um, <laughs> yeah then uh, you, you might have something there
1: right um, yeah absolutely I, I remember seeing them for sale at the gas station
0: right yeah
1: I don't remember the logo, but I remember seeing them and and
0: uh-huh. and knowing
1: what that was. Right, know? right. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, that and it's so funny too. We're thirty years removed from this album. We're fairly uh, educated uh, people, men who who understand a, you know a, a decent amount about culture, but this this zigzag logo was totally foreign to me <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's not something that was part of my experience right, right like right yeah. Uh, yeah yet I totally agree with you that people across you know Western culture it's something that if if you <laughs> if you ever rolled your own joint you probably recognize this logo
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but yeah that and 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 also it helps me understand because I was like I didn't understand why is he in this ornate picture frame like that's bizarre yeah <laughs> but it's yeah. obviously totally related to the chronic yeah um, you know the words right there so yeah, yeah. that's yeah. kind of cool um again i feel like anybody seeing this album when it came out who was into that who was part of that culture uh would have known right away yep what yep. was happening there um yep again would have been great to uh to have a guest who maybe was was (laughs) into this when it came out and who would have been like oh yeah could 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 share some of the reaction of people who saw it for the first time but it's just us
0: it's just us sorry um
1: okay so obviously this is an album that you and i had not listened to Mm -hmm. (laughs) before was there anything you were familiar with ben at
0: all Um, Oh yeah. Uh, nothing but a G thing. Okay. Uh, definitely one that I would have heard, uh, probably a number of times. Um, I think that's it. Uh, I was surprised. I thought, uh, and actually in going just recently and looking through playing a few songs from 2001, I think I would, perhaps it's just because of when they came out, but, but man, I knew like half of that album. Um, yeah. And uh yeah. So it was a bit surprising to me to see how little I knew from this. Um, based on I know I know this album, I know its cover, I know its legacy. I think I would have assumed that, you know, even though I was sort of only connected to hip hop through friends who listened to it, and it was never really my thing. I assumed that I would have known more from it. But but maybe this was just sort of a, a few years earlier than what our peers who listened to this genre would have been. Yeah. Um digesting at that time.
1: You mentioned our friend Aaron who who yeah. we spent a lot of time with, who listened to a lot of hip hop and was into this, yet I mean, he's a year younger than us, so he would have been like nine years old when this came out. Um, right. Right. And not not into certainly not into this uh <laughs> right <laughs> this this style of hip hop yet. He he would be later on, but,
0: but Yeah, I guess is, I'm I'm wondering if for hip hop fans if the chronic album has a sort of legacy that like if you listen to hip-hop you need to own the chronic regardless of how old you were just because of its sort of influence so i like it i'm guessing aaron probably had this it just probably wasn't in his heavy rotation um in the same way that we would have like you know we were too young for the joshua tree for instance but it was an iconic album by a band that we listened to um so of right. course we we'd have it
1: and so you went back we went, we went back, back and I, right. I could see like if he's into hip hop in the late 90s and dre comes out with uh 2001 if he hasn't got it already he's going back and getting the chronic yeah right probably
0: right right
1: uh, yeah for sure um i i don't know i don't know where to go here um I guess the first thing I want to say, and I know you sent me a, a text about this, and I had no idea how prominent uh, Snoop Dogg was yeah. on this album. Like, yeah. Like, I started listening to it. I was like, oh, there's Snoop, you know? Like, yeah. of course, of course, Snoop's on the album. And that was the first track. And then, like, almost every track, I was like, holy moly. Like, he's yeah. a big part of this, a huge part of this album.
0: A huge part of this album and a huge part of an album. I mean, that's surprising to me for a couple of reasons. A... I assume that the debut album from Dre, as he's stepping away from N.W.A., is gonna prominently feature him. Uh, it does, but I would almost argue that that Snoop's personality shines through more than Dre's on this album. Like it's kind of funny that we still call this uh, a Dr. Dre album because this is the launching point for Snoop, not for Dre. This is what got like like he was a relative unknown um, when this came out, and he's like kind of the main character. It's it's really interesting to me that yeah. that that dynamic exists there. That that Dre, even the, that it's only Dre on the cover. Like, uh, boy, they really like took a hold of this guy and and made him pretty prominent, uh, considering it's not his album. But I, right. I know that the collaboration is a big part of hip hop. But I was just a little surprised by how over the top it really is oh, on this album.
1: Yeah, he. It's like. Um it's almost, well, I'd say it's even more prominent than, like, Flav of Flav on, on Takes a Nation of Millions, right? Like, he's yeah. there on every album, like, as the hype guy. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't really drop any verses. Right. Maybe uh, one song
0: or something. Like Yeah, but, I think there's rare, one yeah. song.
1: But in this, like, Snoop's, like, having at least one verse on most of the tracks. And, mm-hmm. and I think, I, I would agree with you that, if not more, at least the same that his personality and his uh, his style comes through on this yeah. album. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say that it overshadows Dre's, but it's like yeah, he's on here a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I found very, very interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, and, and you're right. With the debut album, you think that you'd want your style to be the most prominent yeah right you have other people to give a different flavor a different just a bit of diversity and he has some other some other artists on as well nate dog who was a, a huge um part of that early scene part of death row yep uh as well uh so he's on here and some other artists but uh yeah snoop's on it a ton which which was just again totally ignorant but
0: really interesting uh-huh. There's some familiarities to the way that this album is constructed, uh, similar, to, uh, similar to a number of the older hip-hop albums we've looked at. There's these little talking interludes between, I mean really, I guess across eras of hip-hop that we've looked at. These little talking interludes that kind of set a, a tone or a vibe. Um, there's, there's a lot of really like raunchy uh, and graphic talk on this album. Um, there's a lot of stuff just to set a sort of aggressive tone or mood or attitude um, throughout the album, and um, and it does kind of move through a bit of a, a theme and a story, I guess, that uh, maybe not quite as clearly beginning, middle, end as some of the others, uh, not like ready to die necessarily, to die, but... Yeah, but still has this sort of like crafting a crafting a space or crafting a narrative as we as we go through it, um, which I guess is sort of a standard part of of how you build a good hip hop album.
1: Uh, absolutely, the the sketches are very important. Yeah, skits the skits in between are very important to hip hop. Um, again, yeah, often very vulgar, but they're telling they're telling the story, and again, it's the relatability. Um, Yeah You know a lot of them are Obviously you know fictional But but a lot of it can be related to Like talked about uh, B.I.G. had already served some jail time When he did his album Snoop Snoop at this point This album had already served some jail time Right Um, So If that's just a couple people in the industry Then The general public that they're The demographic that they're presenting to there's going to be a large part of that who can relate to this as well which i think is a really important part of the music uh for better or for worse uh because it that's the whole thing with music it has to be relatable it's not relatable it's not going to be powerful it's not going to be it's it's not going to be important yeah um and to many 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 people this is their this is their experience or is similar to their experience and i think that's one of the reasons why
0: this became so popular um it's so funny to me um we didn't mention this in the uh, the details but it's something we will occasionally point out this is another album that's been selected by the library of congress for okay. preservation uh, it's hilarious to me that sort of like Graphic violence and and gratuitous sex is like deemed kind of something we want to preserve indefinitely as like you know a a marker of this moment in time um but but yeah for for certain contexts for certain uh communities i think this is a soundtrack that would resonate
1: oh yeah and yeah absolutely you always got to look back about a decade when you're reviewing anything like this because the people yeah. who made it are you know in their in a lot of cases you know they're in their 20s
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but it's probably the decade before that they're they're digging from their experience right so you got to look back at what happened you know that was really rough times i know they reference uh there's a news clip about the la riots which i can I always forget the year, Ben, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming 91. was was 90, it 1989 yeah. somewhere in there? Yeah, so like, you know, obviously they talk about that, um, and there's a, there's some sound bites from uh, news reporting about it. Um, so that's a big part of it, and and it's a part of again a part of the experience. And talk about that violence. Um, and why, why would they preserve that? But it's a really important part of history and mm-hmm. culture. And uh, you listen to hip hop and it, it's not exactly the same, uh, but still a lot of similar themes today. Yeah. Um, and and it's the, the people creating music now grew up with this, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's yeah. very important.
0: I, I feel I have two voices in my head. One is uh, the voice of um, uh, Daryl, who, you know, if you haven't already heard our conversation about language and hip hop, um, please go back and listen. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good one. That's on our, our Kanye review, right? Um, yeah. At the beginning of that episode. So I, I have that voice in my head saying, like, you know, don't dismiss something just because of its language or don't dismiss something just because of the way they're telling a story. Mm-hmm. The other voice I have in my head is uh, Glenn Guyton, who who helped us navigate uh, public enemies, it takes a nation of millions, who did say there are times where he gets frustrated um, by hip-hop specifically, and often gangster rap is like uh, kind of celebrating or glorifying really painful and difficult stuff he Mm -hmm. he said public enemy he he appreciated because they often didn't celebrate what they were talking about they like tried to pull back the curtain on poverty violence um and things like that and i guess i i feel those two things in tension here right like on the one hand this is this is someone trying to capture a feeling and a mood on this album trying to tell a story trying to, to to explain the context that he grew up in on the other hand, I feel like there are times where it does lean into, like, uh, especially the revenge elements of this album. He, he does a, he spends a lot of time talking about his former NWA bandmates that he's got problems with, uh, and also producers who have, um, uh, or record label executives who've taken advantage of him. Um, mm-hmm. And it almost lifts up the violence of, like, revenge as, like, uh, something to seek rather than uh, you know pulling back the curtain on the violence of this context so I don't know it starts to get kind of like splitting hairs there I guess a little bit to to sort of say this is justifiable part of hip-hop or this feels gratuitous but I don't know I, I find myself doing that as I listen to this album too and um, I don't know how healthy that is maybe I'm I'm overthinking yeah. it but uh, but I feel that compulsion as I go through uh, this album
1: well that I think, since you bring that up that uh i had some questions about that as well um so i found listening to it the lyrics that were uh you know overly uh sexual violent aggressive though those were very challenging yeah to me and and i found it hard to enjoy the music because a lot of the music I enjoyed but I found it hard to enjoy it because of that Mm -hmm. so I came up with a question to try and help me work through it and and the question is this and I don't think we can necessarily have an answer (laughs) in our discussion but this is the question I came up with that that I think I'm going to come back to as we go through more music like this Um, how do we allow artists to express themselves genuinely And also reduce the amount of of sexism and violence in their lyrics. Yeah. So as you're you're talking about that, and I'm thinking, well, this is an artist who's telling a story. Should we tell artists not to tell their stories in a way that offends us? Right. (laughs) And if we do that, are we allowing them to share their very important story with the world? Because I feel, and I think you... Would feel the same way that everyone's story, right? Especially now, everyone's story is important, right? And for those who have an artistic ability and a voice and a voice that could be heard by millions, uh, that's important for them to share their story. Yeah. However, is the way that stories are shared sometimes, although they're important, is that can that be damaging and negative? in the way they're shared. So I'm wrestling with this because I'm listening to going, oh, I have a lot of problems with this and it makes me uncomfortable. And some of it offends me. Uh, yet once we start, and I don't want to get onto a whole conversation about censorship, but once we start censoring, yeah, what are we losing from yep. censoring? Okay. Yep. So that's my challenge is that I want to hear music with less sexism. Mm -hmm. Uh, with less violence but i also want artists to be able to To express themselves again if you go back to uh please uh if you're interested in this at all and you haven't yet listened to our reviews of kanye west uh my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and also kendrick lamar's uh to pimp a butterfly where we talked to daryl foster on both those albums and the conversation uh On Kanye was about language, but then we had another conversation on Kendrick Lamar about um, sexual language, and he gave us his take on on why that's so important in Black music and the reclaiming of uh, Black sexuality that was uh, taken and oppressed and perverted for decades and decades and centuries. Yep, uh, out of the out of out of slavery and even segregation and all that where uh, it was sort of, I don't know, he, he says it a lot better so please listen to that, but how sexuality was really uh, censored and oppressed and controlled and perverted by, by the white culture yeah. um, and how a lot of this music is, and lyrics are trying to reclaim that. I think that uh i don't want to i don't want to say too much more because i think i'm speaking out of turn and out of <laughs> you know and, and speak just just and it's not it's not my place to talk about it but you yeah. hear if you compare albums like this and Biggie were in the sketches and and a lot i've heard a lot of other hip hop albums in the past where there's usually one sketch <laughs> one skit that is just sometimes there's a bit of humor there but it, it, there's a sketch up uh, about people having sex not, like not yeah. about it but like yeah. portraying you know uh, an, an act right mm-hmm. um, and we get that here in the doctor's office <laughs> we got it in Biggie's um, as well and, and many many albums and then you compare it to I'm not saying that it doesn't happen in more recent albums but in Kendrick Lamar's where you get that portrayed but in a very different way and not quite as like just straight up in your face because I think it with a lot of that early hip-hop too it was like well we can create the music and the art we want to create we're just going to do that so you just throw everything like all the language all like you know you hear we listen to public enemy and i they they don't use the n-word on public enemy at all do they i don't think they do don't think if they do it's like one or one or two times um uh and that's like in what 88 and then like you that. move like just a few years and, and i'm not as familiar with nwa But we talk about just early 90s you hear uh albums that are just filled with the n-word so you see mm-hmm. the shift mm-hmm. and you have you know dr dre he's uh and and uh puffy um they start their own record album uh record labels rather and then it's like we're just going to use all the language and all the imagery and everything we want because we can and this is this is the, the story we want to tell yep. and I feel a shift of that to more modern hip hop where it's still there but it's less overt it's a little more refined you can call that censorship or you can call that just trying to tell the story in a different way um, but again I, I, I hear the words of Daryl saying you know it's that black community trying to reclaim yep. that piece of their identity that was really taken away in the press for so long. And I certainly like have a ton of respect for that. And, and I'm so fascinated by how that evolves and how really important that is. And I don't want to, yep. I'm not saying yep. any of this to belittle it at all because I'm coming from a totally different place, a place of privilege. And still, I think in general, we're living in a sexually oppressed culture where there's so many mixed messages about sexuality like uh, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail right now but (laughs) um, I, I just again that comes back to how you know you have those portrayals that I think are are portraying women in a very negative light a lot of them and and that whole sexual culture it can be very negative yet again how how do you how do you have the artist portray and present their art which speaks for culture uh in many ways and many different people but have it be less (laughs) i guess less offensive or Mm -hmm. less damaging to some of the other groups yep Um, yep and sometimes i don't know that you can because like okay if you're if you're trying to express your anger about uh, police violence brutality against your culture how do you do that without attacking that group
0: yeah, well, I think that's where right? <laughs> I think that's where you get into like the rationale, and uh, you know, I don't know how we ever like fully understand the artist's rationale. But like, um, are you doing it to to make light of something that's actually really serious? Are you doing it to uh, to like really call people to reflect on it and? Mm. And how do you make sure that your audience understands that? Like, so a very recent album that we looked at again was The Beatles Rubber Soul, which has that very awkward um, "Run for Your Life" song on it. Um, right. Yeah. I'm I'm working my way through the very long and sometimes way too tedious uh, Beatles biography by Bob Spitz, and they they kind of lived a really misogynist and reckless. Uh, early life. And that song right. kind of fits with the careless fun they were having. Sure. Um, so I, in hindsight, I look at that song now and think like, you, you guys are really assholes here, like treating women <laughs> poorly,
1: right? Yeah. They, they weren't yeah. doing
0: this to like try and pull back the curtain on partner abuse. They were doing it because they actually did want to chase down women who were cheating on them um, at times. and. And, you know, is that, is that healthy? I I, I guess when I hear you talk, I also think about like, like television art forms, like all in the family, um, gave us this really, uh, grouchy, grumpy, uh, conservative old man, right. Who (laughs) the writers of that show thought the audience would laugh at and, and sort of pull back the curtain on, uh, you know, his, his backwards nature, um, Many people did view Archie Bunker as that, but a lot of people actually created a hero out of him and like pointed to him as someone they want to aspire to be. I want to be that crotchety old guy who doesn't want the world to change, and and so right. then you're you're left uh, with this like, what uh, did that do to our culture? That actually gave um, you know gave some a voice, some backwards. Folks, a voice to to continue to belittle their spouse, to continue to shut down any kind of um, work for change. Uh, So, so I don't know what the result was of the chronic in in our society, but I wonder, I guess, if that's a a metric we can use to say, like, with this artistry, did this person accomplish their goals? Um, Mm -hmm. Did it lead to an even worse environment after this album came out, uh, or Mm -hmm. or a better and um Maybe that's an unfair thing to to hold an artist to that kind of accountability uh because you know they're not necessarily trying to change the world with a hip hop album, but um maybe that's one way that we can sort of say like um, this makes for good quality stuff here versus this is done to exploit uh, marginalized people even more
1: <laughs> right uh I think. I think that's a good place to, to table that conversation. <laughs> Hopefully.
0: Um, uh, <laughs> we could go on for several more I, we hours. Could, we guessing. could go on.
1: And, and again, it's, it's hard to... I recognize talking about that, that uh, we're talking about that from, from a place of privilege. Absolutely. From really from outside looking in. And, yep. and I don't think it's fair to go too far on that because I'd really much have that conver- rather have that conversation from from people who are, who are part of that culture um, and who, who have a lot more experience and education in it. So I would like to leave it, but, but I think it's really important because again, and a lot of people who listen to this and who are, you know, going through that Rolling Stone list um, are not going to be from that, that upbringing, that, that side of it. So we, we need to find ways to engage it too. And maybe the more we engage it, the more we can help, you know, be a part of, of, reconciliation and mm-hmm. and unity right mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's yeah. that's more your line of work but amen uh, but but so yeah back me up <laughs> <laughs> uh but but yeah that's that's what that's what that's what i want i know that's what you want um and and i don't think like we would never have a hope to do that if we don't engage this content right we need right. we need to we don't listen as you and yeah, exactly. You and I, as as people of privilege, we, we need to engage this content. We need to ask these questions. Um, it's okay to struggle with them and feel uh, out of our element, but we need and we need to uh, we need to look to people to help us. So, uh, before we move on, if you're listening to this and you're frustrated <laughs> by this conversation, and and you're someone who uh, who can add to this, um, who grew up in, again in this culture. Uh, please reach out to us. There's lots more hip-hop albums. We would love to have you on as a guest, even if we've never met before. Help us um, tackle this from, from a better point of view <laughs> and help yeah. us uh, learn about it more because that, that's that's what we want to do. We yeah. we don't want to just be yeah. an outside voice. We want to understand it better and have insight from people who've lived this. Um, please, by all means, uh, reach out to us. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> man where do we go from Ta- here <laughs> well I, I
1: I think I think we've talked long enough um, th- I knew that this would be an album that we wouldn't talk about the tracks as much and more talk about just kind of the the idea around it um, yeah. and especially because it's it's not music that we have as much familiarity with and I think that's okay yeah um, uh, uh, again I, I struggled again mostly with the lyrics uh, the the music the sound I liked Uh you know, and a lot of it was nostalgic as that early nineties sound, um, which is as we're coming into our formative years, our coming of age, we're hearing this on the radio. We're hearing this. If we go out to a party or a club, um, we didn't go to many clubs, but, uh, uh yeah. we're hearing that, uh, as modern music. So that was nostalgic. But again, the, the, the lyrics, this is not something like if you had played this to me in 92, 93, I would have been very uncomfortable and, said, you know, turn it off. I'm not allowed to listen to that. <laughs> right. 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 Yep. So, yep. Um, so I, I guess uh, I'm going to ask the question. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go first <laughs> because I don't know how much I have to say, but, but the question was, is this album still relevant? And as much as I found it very uncomfortable, I have to say yes. I have to say it's still relevant because yeah. uh, the, the political issues are still relevant. Um, Dr. Dre, as an artist, is still relevant. He's still producing. He's still very much regarded as one of the pioneers of hip hop, and he is. Uh, and, and this, although the style and the production has changed, and maybe even some of the language has changed, uh, a lot of it is still very much prevalent in modern hip hop and in the music that hip hop has influenced. We talked about, you know, you hear elements of hip hop in every genre right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, from from pop to modern hip hop to country, you hear it in in all genres. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. I think it's relevant. Do you have mm-hmm. anything to add to that, Ben?
0: Um, only to say I agree with you, but that I've realized this week in in trying to prepare for this episode that Dre's three albums. Um, if you listen to them, you don't even have to listen to the whole thing, but listen to a couple tracks from this one. Then jump ahead a decade okay. to 2001. Yeah, and then jump ahead, uh, um, actually, 15, 16 years to his album called Compton. And you when get did this, that come out. Ben? Uh, that came in, out in 2015. Um, oh, You geez. get this really, really interesting uh, kind of overarching. Um, Feel for how hip hop changes over that time. Okay, Compton feels very similar to uh, Kendrick Lamar's uh, "To Pimple Butterfly" album oh, that we listened to. Uh, from the production, the sounds Kendrick's even on it. Um, but okay. uh, <laughs> get this, like you get, you really do see, watch the evolution and transformation. But you're able to trace back. Okay, here's what a producer. Artist, lyricist does in the midst of this um, genre evolution. And uh, I think it's really, I, I mean, especially around relevancy, we don't often get the chance to sort of say, you know, here's a band or a group or an individual who we can compare eras to and, uh, and, Especially because it's only three albums, we can sort of point into the very specific ways that it's evolved over those decades. And um, it's really a powerful kind of uh, task to to do that. And um, it's kind of cool that we can with with Dre.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, So I'll turn this one over to you first. Uh, So this is number 37. 37... 37th best album of all time Do you think that position was sound logic how how do you feel about that
0: oh boy this is uh always hard for uh (laughs) someone who doesn't really listen to the genre i guess it's probably like in terms of its groundbreaking nature it's probably worthy of a high placement um maybe because of how old this one is i don't like it as much as 2001 and maybe because 2001 is a bit more familiar I don't right. feel like there's an there's enough tracks here that that I would still assume people were pulling into their playlists today. Um, okay, and I think I see that from the the sort of Spotify data that you can kind of see when you're on uh, that uh, nothing but a G thing has like a hundred million listens, but everything else is is well less than ten million, and so there's a, like one clearly one song that's had some legs and lasted but uh but everything else is is pretty far behind that uh very different right. than 2001 where many of the tracks are are have multiple millions of listens um so right. so yeah i don't know i i guess this to have this one here this high almost feels like an older iteration of the Rolling Stone list where more emphasis was placed on an album's influence or or genre shifting abilities and less on its actual like sus- sustainability or, or right. ability to last. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's probably how I'd answer that one this time. Okay. Uh,
1: yeah. And I, I struggled again with, with this question in terms of how much I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. because I don't think that's fair to say, well, I didn't yeah. enjoy it. So it should right. be lower. Right. Yeah. Um, although that was my knee jerk reaction to it. But <laughs> you know, if it's, it's one of the key albums in early 90s west coast hip-hop and hip-hop right. in general right so i i feel obligated to say it does deserve to be up in this higher uh kind of area of the list um i don't really have a good argument one way or the other to bump it higher or lower so i'll just say you know it <laughs> that it should probably just stay here um again it would have been more helpful to have somebody on who could say you know well this has influenced me and here are all the other artists Mm -hmm. i know that it's influenced Mm -hmm. um over the years and certainly doctor uh, this is and we've talked about this where there are some albums where we really feel like the artist has been so influential on music over the years that it almost feels like the album is there more for what the artist has done than the album itself. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that definitively about this. Cause I think that that might be taking away from this album, but we know that Dr. Dre, if this was like the most influential artist of all time, that Dr. Dre. Yeah. needs to be very high up on the list. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Even right. though he's only done three albums, like he's been a huge part. We're going to talk about that. Um, well, actually I'll springboard into that, but we know how influenced Dr how influential dr dre has been right perhaps even more so than this album by itself yeah. uh so i i guess i'm just gonna say let's just leave it yeah yeah <laughs> um if if this if you're taking you know all genres and mashing them into one list to say here are the albums from all genres which is what this list is attempting to do then yeah we've got to have a good representation from early hip-hop and this is a really important one so yes Mm -hmm. why is this one here at 37 and and notorious big is at you know 22 uh well that i can't really speak to as much (laughs) right like right right uh but should they all be up here yes Mm -hmm. um well said and then that's a that's a springboard into um uh does dr Dre have any other albums on this list and the answer is no i thought maybe 2001 would have been on the list but it's not however uh he's produced or appeared on many many other albums on the list uh, three albums by eminem uh that have been on various versions of this list kendrick lamar uh, mary j Bligh's two albums snoop dogg uh, 50 cent tupac uh and probably some more but that's what we could dig up it's it takes a little bit Excuse me, a little little more digging to figure out what album someone's produced on or appeared on. Right. So we see again, we see his his appearance and influence and proliferation.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Throughout music, um, hip hop and R and B throughout the decades. So mm-hmm. very interesting. Um But no, but this is the only time we talk about and NW is NWA on the list? They gotta be, right? I could check real quick.
0: I didn't even think about going Let's before check. this album, but you're right. Uh, yeah, one album.
1: Right. So and, and NWA as well. So we will get to talk about Dre when we get to that Straight of Compton album from uh, which is number seventy. Uh, but this is the only Dre album. So, um, well, Ben, that was a, a bit of a challenging one. I felt uh, very out of my element. <laughs>
0: You know what we didn't do? We didn't pick our favorite tracks. Oh, we got to pick our favorite tracks.
1: <laughs> um,
0: well, I think I know what you'll pick. You you do? The one song yeah. that I knew. Yeah. <laughs> is that
1: okay? Well, you better tell me what you're. Uh...
0: This is a a song that I don't even want to say the the title of because of the word that's in it. But the day the N word took over, I think is the okay. one that I find. Okay. I don't even know that I'd say I like it the most, but it's like got a kind of weird. um, uh, It's not. It's not like they've they've pulled a really unique, not necessarily like kind of upbeat uh, funk track to sample over it. It's got kind of a darker feel, right? And a a different kind of almost like a um, reggae style kind of rapping i don't know rbx who's on the track but my hunch is that that's him uh, or Daz, yeah, maybe yeah, one yeah, of the yeah, others. Yeah. but um uh yeah so that might be my choice uh but i do like nothing but a g thang as well
1: yeah and, and you know i guess we're we're trying to wrap up here but i was one other thing i was surprised at the caribbean and reggae influence on the album
0: you mm-hmm. hear it a few times yeah
1: um which I thought was interesting, which is not what I initially think of when I think of West coast gangster rap, but there's a lot of that. Um, Well, that, well, that, that's cool. Uh, Actually the track I want to pick, which I found very catchy was, uh, and I believe was one of the singles was let me ride. Okay. Um, uh, The song that you, just to come back, the song that you mentioned, Ben, that that's the one that deals with uh, one of the songs that deals with the the L.A. riots, right?
0: I think that's right. Yeah, there's like some uh, radio yeah. chatter and stuff that's yeah, in there too. Yeah,
1: okay. Yeah. And, and, which of course is really really significant, um, an important part of this music and peop- and their experience, right? And mm-hmm. was a huge like it's still an issue today. We hear about that on Tibimpa Butterfly and so many other things. So yeah, uh, yeah. So I'll pick Let Me Ride.
0: Sounds I really good. like that one. Well, that will bring us,
1: uh, bring this review to a close. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, ben, what we got coming up next time? One of your favorites?
0: Yeah. Next time on the Sound Logic Podcast, we revisit an old favorite. Um, this is album number 38, Blonde on Blonde by Bob Dylan. Oh boy. <laughs> You'll get to hear us chat about that. Uh,
1: one of my favorite bob dylan albums um not one of ben's mostly because it's uh, by bob dylan (laughs) (laughs) Uh, until that time we hope that you're well we hope that you take care of yourself and those around you and we hope you'll join us next time here on the sound logic podcast take care if you like what you hear